In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today in the Gospel reading, we read the, the story that we read also in the midnight prayers uh, on the Agbeya, uh every day about the sinful woman who came and she washed Christ's feet with her tears when Christ was uh, sitting in the Pharisee's house, Simon the Pharisee. So Christ was there visiting the Pharisee. The Pharisee had invited him. And being a Pharisee, he was more interested in uh, who is this Christ, maybe asking him questions, testing him, trying to catch him uh, in something that he would say. He was not really bringing him into his house um, as Zacchaeus did. If you're familiar with Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, he acknowledged himself to be a sinner. And so when Christ came to his house, he came with the spirit of, um, Zacchaeus came with the spirit of wanting to repent and to change. And so when Christ came to his house, he, he completely transformed, and it was like a beginning, a new beginning for him. But when Simon the Pharisee had Christ come into his house, it was a very different encounter. He did not come with a, with a sense of, I am a sinner, and I need Christ to come and to bless me and to forgive me my sins. But he, he came thinking that he was a righteous man, the Pharisee, Simon the Pharisee. He believed he was a righteous man. So when this woman came in, who was, you know, not a very respectable person, not what wasn't someone that you that this Pharisee would ever allow into his house at any other time. And when she came in, he he judged her. And he he, he even though he, the the scripture doesn't say that he actually said anything necessarily to her or mistreated her in any way, but he judged her in his heart. And yet Christ defended her and he offered her forgiveness. And he said about her, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. So why is it that those people like Simon the Pharisee, they didn't come and understand why is it that Christ came? You know, he said many times, I came for the sinners, not for the righteous. I came for those people who acknowledge their sin. I came for those people who are cast out. I came for those people who um, feel like they have no other means of hope or salvation for them. In John 3.17, we read, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And yet we see very few people understanding this message. Very few people. We see some people believing that Christ came as like another King David in order to create a strong kingdom of Israel and defeat the Roman Empire. Or see some people that believe that he came just as a teacher. Or some people believe that he came as a heretic and that he was blasphemous and he disobeyed God and he disobeyed the commandments. And yet there was some people, the people that truly benefited from his coming, are those people who understood the reason why he came, and that he understood he, they, he, that he came for salvation. He came to save everyone um, from their sins. And so Christ did what no one imagined um, was possible. We read in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And certainly this is Christ, that he was the life, and this life was the light of men that he came and to illuminate us. He came from heaven to earth to illuminate. And, and we are the darkness. And this light comes to shine on our darkness to, so that we would be renewed, so that we would be transformed, so we would change. And yet it says the darkness did not comprehend. It's almost like we don't, we don't understand this light. What is this light? It doesn't make any sense to us. And, and a good example of this is here, this man, Simon, whom mm. Christ came to the center, to the heart of his house, and he even saw how Christ was forgiving the sins of people and how those people were coming to Christ for salvation, for forgiveness, and yet they couldn't understand. 
and they just criticized this woman and they said what is she what is she doing here so this idea that the darkness did not comprehend it, it kind of reminds us of like a blind person a person who is completely blind does not see the light that even though a blind person might be in standing in the midst of the sun and yet that blind person cannot perceive the sun and this is exactly how these people were darkened they were darkened because they could not perceive or see even if the sun itself was right before their eyes they would not have any way to detect it. They would not know that it is there. So we ask about the blind, when, since we're speaking about darkness and blindness, we ask a question is, how does a blind person know that he is blind? Let's say someone who is born from birth is blind. How does this person know that he is blind? Someone who has always lived in darkness has no concept of light. They wouldn't even know that there's something missing, that one of their senses is not present, is not functioning correctly, because they have never experienced anything else. If you can imagine like an island of people where everyone that lives on this island is blind, and they've never had any contact with anyone else, and they're able to survive, they're able to function somewhat in this state, but they all are blind. None of them would be able to look to the other and say there's a problem with you because we all have the same problem and we don't know that we're not healthy. We believe that we're healthy. We believe that we have the fullness of what is it that a human being should be and yet we are all lacking in something. And this is true about us as humanity, that those who lived for thousands of years before the coming of Christ, we all had this blindness. We all had this blindness. And now when Christ is coming and he's saying, I'm offering you a solution to your blindness, and the people would respond to him and say, What's, what problem? We don't have a problem. You are coming to solve something that is not broken. Why are you coming to us? Why are you telling us these things? We are already the teachers. We are the righteous. We are the authority. We are the ones that are teaching the people. And you're coming to us and telling us that we are blind. How can we be blind? Right? It is only a person who can see clearly. It is only a person who can see clearly that can identify what blindness is. And as only a person that can see clearly can point out to a person that's blind and tell him, you are blind. You are blind because I can see, but you cannot see. Right? So this is what Christ did, is he was the one that could see. He was the only one that could see. And he came into the world to tell us that we were blind. And some people accepted this message from him, but many people rejected it. And those people who are accepted it, like this woman who came at his feet and washed his feet with her tears, she was one that could accept because she felt like her blindness was debilitating. She felt like her blindness, she couldn't go on in blindness anymore. She wanted, she wanted, to, she wanted to come out of her darkness, this darkness that she was in. And when she saw Christ, she felt in him that he offered something new, something different, a light, a light that, that she could see in him, that she couldn't see in the Pharisees, that she couldn't see in, in anyone else. So we have to understand that we are born into this reality. We are born into this reality where darkness is around us. And we don't realize necessarily the reality of God or the existence of God or the importance of God until maybe um, we come to understand that later in our life. And, and Christ said in John chapter 1, or it says about Christ in John chapter 1, He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. So we have to ask ourselves, how are we darkened? What are the ways that maybe we are coming to this world that we are darkened and we remain darkened? We live in this darkened uh, way. The first way we are darkened is through addiction to the flesh. First way we are darkened is through addiction to the flesh. We read in Galatians chapter 5. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This long list of, of you know, pleasures of the flesh, this long list of things that maybe we do in our darkness, is, is when, when, when Christ speaks about it here, when St. Paul is speaking about it, he's labeling it in a way to identify that it is evil, right? To identify that it is evil when we speak about fornication, for instance. He labels it as something evil, something vile, something that shouldn't be done, as a way to continue and propagate the darkness that we are already in. Someone who is living in darkness and, and, and is carrying out these things will remain in darkness. They will remain in darkness and they will not see. But someone who is in darkness, who practices these things like fornication, they will not consider it fornication. They will not consider it evil. They will consider it good. They will consider it pleasurable. They will consider it natural, normal. This is how we, this is what we practice. This is what we do. This is life. This is society. This is, and anyone who comes to them and says, no, this is not a good practice, they will say what? Well, no, you're, 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 you're crazy. You know, you're, you're just too, you're too conservative or you're too, you know, whatever, you're judgmental. Don't judge me. Don't. Wh whatever it is that we say against these things here, as St. Paul said, it is those who live in darkness that will defend it. And they will defend it because they cannot see the light. They don't see the alternative to this. They don't see what a life would look like without these things. Now, certainly, maybe all of us struggle in weakness toward many of these things. You know, maybe none of us can look at this list and say, I've never fallen into any of these things. That is not what I'm saying. The difference is that what is our goal? What, what do we see as our ideal? What is it that we want to work toward? If I am a child of the light, then I identify that the light is good and that I want to become light, that I want to become pure, that I want to grow and improve myself, that I want to approach the standard that Christ has set because he is the light. I identify that maybe I live in darkness and I want to go to the light. This is a person who has seen light and maybe struggles to live in light, but has seen the light. Here when we're speaking of people in complete darkness, these are people that don't even identify that these things are evil. They don't even, they, they, they defend these things and they say this is fine. Revelries, for instance, drunkenness. We, 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 we would say yes, okay, uh, this is fine. There's nothing wrong with being drunk. We, we, we encourage it. It's fun. You know, this is the difference between light and dark. Right? We can still be children of the light if we struggle, but if we identify that the things that are darkness are actually good, this is, this is a problem. So this is one of the ways we are darkened, is we are so addicted to the flesh that we stop even being sensitized to the idea that what we are doing is sinful, that what we are doing is evil. Another way that we are darkened so that we do not see the light of God is by worshipping the self. And worshipping the self comes in uh, several flavors. The first one is we are worshiping our self-will, our self-will, my will. I worship my, my own will. I want to follow my will and I don't want anyone to have any authority over me, anyone to control my actions, anyone to tell me what it is that I should do or not do. And of course, when we reject any God-given authority over us, we are ultimately rejecting God himself. In Zephaniah chapter 3, it says, in that day you shall not be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. Okay? He's saying, he's saying I'm going to take away your pride. 
Okay, our pride, our self-will, is what causes us to transgress against God. Okay? A lot of times people will say, I, I love God, and I obey God, and uh, I will do whatever God says I will do. But when it comes to certain people, no, I will not follow them. I will not do what the church says. I will not do what my parents say. I will not do what my teachers say. I will not do what these specific people in authority over me say, because I always find a reason why that what they're saying to me is wrong or what they're saying to me in my mind is contradicting what God is saying, and so I will not do them. And it's very easy for us to say, because in what way does God give us his commands? Well, certainly in the scripture, he gives us his command. But he also gives us command through different people that he has placed in authority over us. And when I say I will follow God, but I will not follow people, then essentially what I'm saying is I'm following myself. Because it is easy for me to interpret what is it that God is telling me. It's very easy. I, 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 I take from God what I like, and I leave from God what I don't like. And who's going to tell me otherwise? Who's going to come and tell me? No, I, I don't listen to people. I only listen to God. But how is it that I'm interpreting or understanding God? I'm, I understand them only through the lens of my own mind. So no one, is, no one is a third arbiter. No one is coming to me and telling me, God is saying this, you're misunderstanding what God is saying. Maybe, maybe your motivations are wrong. Maybe there's something incorrect about what we're doing. So the worship of the self-will. Am I willing to give up myself? You know, when we think about what is Christianity, many times people believe that Christianity is about, I live my life as I like, but... God blesses me, but I ask God for good things and he gives it to me. This is, there's nothing here about submission. There's nothing here about obedience. In order for us to really be the children of God, to be obedient to God, we have to um, fight against what I want. We have to understand my will is not the same as God's will many, many times. And so when the conflict of those two wills comes, when I have this conflict in me, what do I want versus what God wants? Then this is when I make the decision. Who am I worshiping? Am I worshiping God? In which case I have to you know, subject myself to his will, even if it's not comfortable. Or do I say what? I only go to God when it's comfortable. I only go to God when he's going to give me something I like, when he gives me something I want. That's when I go to God. But if, I, but if God wants anything uncomfortable to me, then I don't, I don't go to him. It's not important. I just I stay away from that. Also related to this is the lack of submission. The worship of the self is the lack of submission to authority specifically. In Hebrews 3, 13, 17, it says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls at those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. He's giving us specifically this command. And if you look in the scripture as far as who is the authority, of course, maybe we know about parents, okay, authority, or the church is authority. One of the authorities is the government. And when, when, when Christ says that one of the authorities is the government, he doesn't say that the government is good. He doesn't say that the government does everything right. He doesn't say that all the laws that the government made are ordained by God and approved by God. He says they have the authority. They have been placed as an authority over you, so obey them. Okay? And this is maybe when it becomes the most difficult to obey the authority, to obey my boss, for instance. Okay? God tells me, obey your boss. But even if my boss is wrong? Yes, even if your boss is wrong. Uh, obey the church. Well, what if, if someone in the church who has authority over me told me something that is wrong? Do I obey him? Yes, obey him. As long as it is not something that is against God's commandment, as long as it's not something directly against what God is saying, then yes. 
Because there's the reason why the church had remained united and the Orthodox Church now has remained united for so long is because of there's a unity. It doesn't mean because every decision that's been made has been correct. If you think about it, what keeps a family together is unity. Not, not that every decision made by the family is the right decision. It is okay that sometimes we make wrong decisions. But what is not okay is that we have division. Division is far more harmful than making wrong decisions. And most of the time when we disobey either our parents or disobey our boss or disobey the church or disobey something, the, the thing we're disobeying about is really not that important. But the effect of the disobedience is far longer lasting, can cause schisms, lifetimes of pain between people and relationships and things like this. This is why submission, the concept of submission is very important. And this is why the reason why God has placed ranks. There is ranks. Even in the church, there's ranks. For instance, you have bishop, and the priests are under the bishop. If the, if the priests don't like what the bishop has to say, what do we do? We, have, we, we follow the bishop. Even if we disagree with the bishop. What about the, the members in the congregation of the church? If they don't like what the priest says, they can choose to disobey it. But if they disobey, what's going to is going to cause division. There's going to be some people saying yes, some people saying no. So in the end, whatever these decisions are that we're making, they're for the most of the time, they're trivial compared to the consequences that can happen because of a lack of submission. And here again, what St. Paul said, he says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. They have what is in your best interest. And, I, and when it comes to the church, so often, uh, maybe either the priest or a bishop makes a decision, because of some private knowledge that they have, some knowledge that they have about a situation that's not public. And so when people that do not have this public knowledge, they look at the decision that was made and they say, this doesn't make any sense. Why, why are you doing this? You're being too conservative. You're being too strict. You're, 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 not, you're not giving us freedom. Well, do you understand that maybe there are problems that you're not aware of that are actually going on, which is why this decision has been made? And so often this happens in the church. So often when people look at a decision that has been made and they think it just kind of doesn't make sense, it's because it's based on something that you don't know and maybe based on something you can't know. And so it's, it's important for us to trust the authority, to trust. Now, now, that doesn't mean that in every case we can trust, but when it comes to the church, we should trust. These are the, the people that God has placed over us. He says what? They watch out for your souls. The reasons that the church makes decisions on, for the people is for your benefit, is for the sake of your souls, okay? As those who much give account, meaning the bishop is a steward to God. He is a steward. Like when God comes to him, he's going to say, what did you do for your flock? What decisions did you do? Another way that we are darkened through worship of the self is because of selfishness, which is wanting what is good for ourselves at the expense of others. Wanting what is good just for me at the expense of others. In 1 John 3.17, it says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? How does the love of God abide? So if I'm always wrapped up in my own things, my own self, my own work, my own family, my own finances, my own time, everything is about me, this is one of the ways that I can be darkened. Because I don't look outside of me. I don't see that I am part of the body of Christ. One of the ways that we connect to Christ is through other people. And the church is a body. The church is a congregation. The church is a group of people. If I separate myself from the church, if I 
uh, only focus on myself and my own things, then over time I will forget the other. I will forget what it means to show love. You know, people ask, how is it that God demonstrated love before he created human beings or before he created any creation at all? Okay? It's because he was Trinity. One of the reasons that God is a Trinity is because there is love internally inside of him. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they love each other. So we can say that God is love and he doesn't need anyone outside of himself to be love. right? So even God himself is not one. Even God himself is three. He is three persons united in one God, bound by this bond of love. So how can we then say, if God himself is love, how can I show this love? If we speak about the, the, the fundamental virtue of Christianity is to love. Who is it that I love? I have to love someone. And so if I'm selfish, I only love myself. I only focus on myself, only do what is right. So the more I focus on myself alone, the more I will be darkened. The more I will not see the light of Christ. If I do not take this love and share it with someone, then I will not even feel the love of God. Because I, I'm, I'm so selfish, I'm so thinking only of my own things, that I can't even experience the love of God to me. When God shines his love on me, I, I don't experience, I don't feel it. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand what it means. Because maybe I have not trained myself of how to love other people. And the sacrifice that is required to love another person. The more I'm familiar with that sacrifice, of what it means to sacrifice for the sake of another, the more I will understand the sacrifice that God made for us. You know, one of the things that people who get married learn is how it is difficult sometimes to love. And that, and that in, in loving another person, we see that sometimes we have to sacrifice and then we have to give of ourselves. And we see that same sacrifice being made by Christ for us, that he loved us even though it was very painful and difficult for him to love. So this is one of the other ways that we are darkened is through the worship of ourself in the form of selfishness. The last way that we, um, that, that we worship the self is from emotionalism. In Proverbs 28, 26, it says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. You know, when we ask ourselves, like, you know, well, I'm going to trust the way that I feel. Well, maybe the way that I feel is not always right. Maybe the way that I feel, there's problems with that. The Bible tells us, it says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Meaning, the heart is deceitful. The heart can lie to us. You know, sometimes the heart is, um, leads us in the right direction. Sometimes the heart helps the mind. But a lot of time, the heart hinders the mind. And so we have to have a wisdom and discernment to understand which is which. In an ideal world, if we were not corrupted by sin, the heart and the mind would always be in tune. They would always have the same focus. They would have the same understanding. And that, and that everything would be so much easier because I would understand what is right and good with my mind and I would be motivated by my heart to do what is right and good. This is, this is ideally how God created us. But because of the destruction, because of the corruption, because of sin, both our mind and our heart are darkened. My mind is darkened in the sense that maybe I can't even understand what is good. And my heart is darkened is that even if my mind understands what is good, I do not feel that I want to do what is good, even though I understand what it is. So one of the, the ways that we remain darkened is through this emotionalism. Emotionalism, that I, I do only what makes me feel good. I only, I only do what makes me feel good. If it makes me feel good, I do it whether it's good or bad. Okay, And if I don't feel good about something, I don't do it at all, even if it is good. If I don't feel like praying, I will not pray. 
Okay? If if you know there's a there's a there's a person who is committing a sin and it is wrong, and I know that it is wrong, but I like this person and I don't want to judge this person, then I will not. And I will actually promote this activity because I love this person, I like this person. Right? Am I am I being motivated in my life simply by my emotions? left and right in every direction or am I grounded in some kind of a truth right if I if I'm not grounded in truth then I will remain darkened because God is truth and God wants us to know his truth I have to know the truth and he says what you, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free if I do not know the truth then I'm in bondage if I do not know the truth I am in bondage and if I know the truth but because of my emotions I do not practice the truth is because I'm afraid to offend someone, I do not practice the truth, then I am also in bondage. Okay? And this is again keeps me darkened. I have to be bold to, to know the truth and to do what is true. Another way that we are darkened is because we deny spiritual realities. And this is more and more and more common, both outside the church and inside the church, because of kind of the very atheistic uh, culture that is developing around us. Okay? We have been programmed with the idea that seeing is believing. It's much easier for us to believe something when we have seen it. Okay? But in Psalm 14.1 it says, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. Okay? There is none who does good. Who, who is it of us that can say that we have seen God? No one can say we have seen God in a very direct way. Okay? Most of us cannot say that. Okay? And so, because we are bombarded all the time with these messages that all, all we have is what we see, all we have is what we see, there's nothing beyond this life, and there's no reason in wasting our life worshipping a God that doesn't exist, and all of these things that we hear all the time. So we begin to doubt, and we have these doubts in our mind. The more that we doubt, and the more that we, we act on our doubt, the more we um, you know, begin to separate the more we begin to leave God, the more we begin to not just question, but to take action and to not, not, not try to find answers to those questions, but to just kind of begin to say, you know what, I'm not so interested in this anymore. This isn't something that, that I really believe in anymore, right? Those, that darkens us even more, right? It is okay to have doubts. It's okay to question. But then once we have those doubts, we try to find what, what is the answer? What is the answer to these questions that I have? We might doubt the existence of God. Does God actually exist or not? Or maybe we believe that God exists, but we doubt the power of God. Can God really do and has done what he said he will do? Or we might doubt the goodness of God. Maybe God exists, but he's not good to me. Why did God allow these things to happen to me if he doesn't actually exist? So if we have these doubts and these questions, that's very normal. It's normal to have these kinds of doubts. But we have to take the next step and say, how am I going to answer these doubts? If I doubt the existence of God, then I need to like study apologetics. I need to, to study the prophecies. I need to study all the things that God has done. What do we know about God? How can we see evidence of God's existence? And even though we will never have a proof of the existence of God, but we will definitely... Uh, have a lot of evidence pointing us in that direction. If I doubt the power of God, then again, I look at all the things that God has done, all the, the, the power that God has displayed. If I doubt the goodness of God, then I look at all the ways God has sacrificed himself for us or done good things for his people. But beyond all of this, 
Beyond all of this studying and reading and doing, if I really want to have a relationship with a person, I have to talk to him. And there have been people that came to Christ because they prayed and they said, God, I don't know if you are real or not, but if you are real, I want, I want to feel you. I want to experience you. I want you to show yourself to me. And if we are sincere in this, God will answer this prayer. He wants us to believe in him. The most real, the most uh, convicting knowledge of the existence of God does not come from external facts. Maybe when we try to convince an atheist of a Christianity or so on, we, we use external facts. We say, oh, okay, this is, this is here, this is this information, um, you know, these are logical arguments and so on. But for those who have the deepest faith, for those who really have a strong faith in God, it is not based on something written in a book. It is based on a life experience that they've had with God that cannot be denied. And, and this is what we want, right? Like just as I cannot meet you and then go out of the room and then somebody tells me you don't exist and then I believe them. Even if they bring me books, even if they bring me information, if they bring me lectures, if they bring me anything and they say you don't exist, I say, well, I was just with him in the room. There is no way he doesn't exist because I was just with him. So when we have that encounter with God, that is the greatest anchor of our faith that we will never deny God because we've seen him, not seen him with our eyes, but seen him like Job has seen him. When he says, what I he heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. He didn't mean I literally. He meant what I experienced you now. I experience you now and now I cannot deny you. Now I know for sure that you exist. So it's very important for us to have this, to work toward this, to, to, to spend time speaking to God so that we can be reconfirmed of his existence and his love for us. Another way that we are darkened is through materialism, the love of physical possessions. If all we seek is to always just gain more, if this is our goal in life, my goal is to gain more. And so all my focus is what? Only on this world, only on gaining things in this world. In 1 Timothy 6, 9, it says, But those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. But if we're honest with ourselves, most people desire to be rich. He's not saying the riches itself is the problem. He's saying the desiring, the desiring to be rich. Because when someone desires to be rich, they will spend so much of their time focusing on how to become rich and ignore so many other important things. Okay? And this can, can darken us. Okay? This is directly against our spirituality. This is against the spirituality is all about focusing on what is eternal, right? And materialism is all focusing on what is temporal. So I can't have both. I can't be spending all my time thinking about what is here now and how I'm going to gain more stuff and money and things. And at the same time, my mind is focusing on how am I going to live in eternity when all the stuff that I'm collecting now doesn't exist. Right? How can, I, how can I spend all my time thinking about something that isn't going to exist in eternity? Right? And think about eternity at the same time. So it, it keeps us, it's like completely opposite. Um, another way we are darkened is that we deal with pain in destructive ways. We deal with pain in destructive ways. When we experience pain, we want to be comforted somehow. And God, he says what? He wants us to come to him to be comforted. He wants us to, to receive our comfort from him. This is the one of the ways that our faith is confirmed. Because when we go to God, he gives us what we need. Okay? When I go to God, he grants me comfort. But instead, we go often to other things. Some people go to food, to alcohol, to drugs, to sex, to whatever it is. Seeking comfort 
in those things instead of seeking comfort in God. And, and in the book of Jeremiah, God speaks about this. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So he says, I am like this pot that can be full of water, and you can drink from it, right? And you can, you can be nourished from it. You can be healed from it. But instead of going to the pot that's, you know, whole and filling it with water and drinking, instead you're going to this broken pot full of holes, and when you try to fill it with water, all the water falls out. And you keep trying to drink from it, and it's not giving you what you want. And this is like addiction. When we become addicted to things, trying to cope with pain and, 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 and hurt and things like that, it's like this is what we're doing. Because it doesn't work, and yet we keep trying more and more of it, and it still doesn't work. So God is saying what? You have to come, like, when we are experience pain and suffering in the world, which we will, how do we deal with it? If we deal with it in the wrong way, this can lead us down a road of even more darkness, of even more suffering and pain. But if we go to God and we have ask him, show me, like fill me with the Holy Spirit, grant me hope, grant me comfort, grant me joy, grant me these things. And, you know, filling myself with the word of God, listening to sermons, always hearing positive messages, trying to fill my time with good things. Like all those things are the positive things. It's like drinking from this cistern, the cistern of God that will fill me and nourish me. The last point I want to make is um, accepting the light. Okay. Those that receive Christ have to admit that they have been living in darkness. If I really want to accept the light, I have to admit that I'm living in darkness. Like, for instance, if, if I'm already lighting my room and my, I think my room is, is lit, I don't feel like I need any more light. If I feel that I can, I can already see, then I don't feel like I have any problem, right? So uh, the blind man, he has to first admit that he is blind. He has to first admit there's something lacking, there's something missing, there's some sense that I don't have, and for that reason, I want to be treated. I want there to be treatment. I want to be able to open my eyes so that I can accept the light of Christ that I maybe do not accept now. In John chapter 1, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Right? When we receive Christ, we become the children of God. And this is what we want. God, show us that we are blind. Show me that I am blind and don't let me be self-satisfied with the life that I'm leading or the path that I'm going, but let me to see myself clearly and, and so that we can grow and not become like this Pharisee, but instead become like this woman, the woman who knew her sin, that was willing even to come and to wash his feet with her tears because she wanted healing from him. And glory be to God forever. Amen.